Welcome to this edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Kelleher and Elspie Bass of the Deloitte Human Capital Team, and we're going to be speaking about a concept or a phrase that's been on everyone's lips for a few years by now, and that is the Great Resignation. So, John and Elspie, if you could introduce yourselves to our listeners and remind us exactly what the Great Resignation is, and tell us a little bit about the recent research that Deloitte has conducted. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for um, having us. My name's Alcibi, and I'm a senior manager at the um, Human Capital Consulting Team in Deloitte. Uh, my focus is mostly on large-scale organization transformation projects uh, and also helping organizations with any people-related issues. And I'd say the last kind of three years, my ma- one of my main focus has been the future of work and helping clients to respond to key changes when it comes to um, the work itself, their workforce, and um, also the workplace. And the great resignation is really one of the the key trends that fall right into the sweet spot um, of the future of work. But I will hand over to John to tell you a little bit more about that. Thank you, Elsie, and thank you for having us today, Farah. So I'm John Kelleher, and I'm a, a manager within the Deloitte Human Capital Practice, where I work specifically within workforce transformation. And across workforce transformation, I predominantly you know, spend my time working on how organizations can truly optimize their talent and deliver that ex- exceptional employee experience that we all crave from our work lives. So on the great resignation, you know, what exactly is it? It's essentially just an ongoing economic trend in which employees have really just voluntarily resigned from their jobs in unprecedented numbers uh, right throughout the globe, not specific to any location. It's simply the term used to describe just the global movement of talent that we just haven't seen before. It's impacted all industries, all generations of the workforce, but really across industry and workforce segments, the reasons do vary. So it was back to the beginning of the resignation. In 2021, it was reported that over 40% of the workforce were actually considering leaving their jobs. And approximately 46% of Gen Z and the millennial generations reported that they did actually plan to leave their jobs within the following two years. So two really, really worrying statistics. So not only was turnover at an all-time high back then, but turnover intentions for the future were also at really, really worrying levels. And I suppose naturally enough, we ask ourselves, what are the reasons behind us? And if we were to bring it back to, to one main reason, is that our lives have been significantly disrupted, as we're all aware, over the last couple of years. And I suppose through that state of disruption, employees have just simply reevaluated what they wanted from their work lives, but also what they didn't want. So some of the specific causes of the great resignation can be really drawn back to things such as lack of support from organizations. You're looking at new career and life goals, employee burnout, as we've seen through COVID, the cost and availability of childcare, people realizing that they wanted to spend more time with their families. And I think the one that, that we can all just identify with is people are no longer content to sit in traffic and do that daily commute, you know, every single day of the week. So these have all created the conditions for our recent research on the great resignation. But the primary focus of the research is really to understand how we can move from that state of great resignation to one where organizations can really capitalize on the current labor challenges just to rethink and reinvent how work is done to enhance that employee experience. Thanks, John. And we'll go into a bit more detail about some of the causes for the Great Resignation in a few minutes. But while we're referring to this as the Great Resignation from an employee perspective, it also presents really significant opportunities for organizations. So that's where this new term, the Great Reimagination, is coming in. Can you tell us exactly what that means? Yeah, I can take that one. Um, So 
I think definitely the Great Resignation has made massive waves over the last year and seen as quite a bit of a challenge. I think organizations realized during COVID that they are nothing without their people and people were really the recipe to to help them kind of thrive uh, through that disruption. And what we've seen towards kind of the end of 2022 is there's been a slight slowdown, but um, not as much as we would have expected with the cost of living crisis and economic uncertainty. People are maybe thinking um, twice before they leave, but the great resignation still continues. Um, and as John has mentioned, there's quite a few reasons for that, uh, such as work-life balance, wanting more flexibility, etc. Now, while a lot of organizations see this as a threat to their business, uh, some others see this as an opportunity to reset and to reimagine what the future can look like. And really, that's what the great reimagination is all about. Now, when we think of the great reimagination and how organizations are thinking about the future, we categorize it into three um, three key pieces. The first one being to recharge the workforce. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about each of them now. Uh, the second one is to reinvent the workplace itself. And then the last one is to re-architect the work that uh, we are physically doing. Uh, so when we think about the workforce and recharging that, really what organizations are looking at is thinking differently about where do they get their talent and their workforce from. So obviously with the great resignation, there's some gaps that has been left in the workforce, and they need to find ways to fill that in a economy where talent is really scarce and people are making very kind of smart choices in terms of who they join and uh, where they build their next career. Uh, one of the things that we've we've seen them do is to cast a wider net in terms of where they look for their talent. So one of the key things that COVID and the pandemic has given us is that shift towards remote working and hybrid working. And that has expanded the geography from where people can choose their talent. So that, that is a key opportunity that has come from this. But organizations are also looking at other ways of uh, expanding their talent pool. Uh, they're looking at neurodiverse people, how they can add them into the workforce and create opportunities for people they may have not considered before. And they're even considering boomerang opportunities and um, particular programs focused on people who have left their organization and getting them to really join back in the end. Uh, they're calling it welcome home initiatives. So it, it, it's quite a nice uh, way of, of looking at how you can bring people into your workforce or bring them back. Uh, when it then comes to reimagining the workplace or reinventing um, the workplace itself, it's all about combining the physical and digital workplace. Uh, the, the term fidgetal is one that's being thrown around quite a bit in that space. But really, it's about how do you create that opportunity for human connection, uh, collaboration in a world that's not physical, but might be a combination of the two. And technology plays a massive part here. Uh, with organizations experimenting and reinventing through key things like the metaverse or other digital platforms to create avatars and um, simulate that environment. So really an exciting place to uh, be in. Uh, the workplace is also being reimagined in terms of what is its purpose, uh, where previously it would have been the place that you come to do your work. You can now 
do your work from home, but then come to the office, for instance, for collaboration, innovation and learning. So they're physically redesigning how the workplace um, operates and how it looks as well. So really exciting things happening there. And then the final point that we look at from a great reimagination perspective is to re-architect the work. And I think this is really the, the most exciting one and the one that probably has the biggest impact when you look at attracting and retaining people because it's all about finding ways to elevate the work so that it really creates space where people can add more value. Uh, so you don't want to be stuck in the mundane pieces of work. One of the key reasons people are are leaving organizations is because they feel they're not making an impact or they're not seeing the meaning in their work. So if you can create a situation where technology takes away that mundane tasks, you actually give people the power to really focus on what matters to them and also to um, use the skills that's inherently human and can't be as something that technology replaces. So uh, that is probably the one where you, you will see the biggest impact in terms of keeping people. Uh, and then the other interesting thing that we're seeing here is digital workers coming into the team and really forming part of the team. Some organization even gives them gives them names and uh, job descriptions. So they're really fully fledged uh, workers as part, part of the team. And again, they just uh, perform tasks that human don't, humans don't want to. So really when we look at the reimagination, the great reimagination, it's about rethinking your workforce, workplace and the work itself. And um, using that to create better experiences for your people so that they want to stay with your organization or want to join it if they haven't yet. Thanks very much, Elsie. It's so interesting to hear the organizational side of things because I do, do think we hear a lot about the great resignation from the employee perspective, but we don't so often hear about these fantastic opportunities that an organization has to make the workplace better for not only their employees, but for the greater good of the organization going forward. So that was a fantastic summary. Thank you very much. I want to go back to the work-life balance piece that you touched on very briefly. Now, a significant proportion of millennials and Gen Z are saying that this is the main priority when they're looking for a new employer. And according to the Deloitte report, 25% of millennials actually left their organizations in 2022 as a result of burnout. So that begs the question, how can organizations encourage a positive work-life balance for their staff members? Okay, yeah, I can assist this one. Uh, and of course, work-life balance, you know, it's a priority of, at all levels of organizations. And it's really of critical importance now more than ever, and of particular relevance based on the context of the findings from our Irish report, actually. But I suppose before we talk about how we can create a work-life balance, I think we first need to just, you know, discuss what work-life balance actually is. And when we look at work-life balance, we've really moved beyond work-life balance being about the amount of time you spend doing your job and then comparing that to the amount of time that you spend with your family or doing things that you enjoy. Because I suppose traditionally when we viewed it through that manner, we tried to balance out both sides of that equation. And ultimately we failed because... What has worked in terms of work-life balance for us in the past may not work today. And what works today, it just may not work for us in the future. So work-life balance, it's no longer about the separation of your work life and your personal life. It's actually about bringing both together. So we're, we're all aware of the, the purpose and fulfillment that we crave from our personal lives away from work and how we can actually achieve that purpose and fulfillment from those personal lives. So work-life balance is now about how we bring that purpose and fulfillment 
right back into work. And our report shows that organizations can do this through creating positive workplace cultures, providing opportunities for learning and development, increasing flexibility in terms of work practices, and presenting people with just opportunities to advance throughout their careers. And I suppose in terms of tangible actions that organizations can start making, you know, today you would be looking at encouraging your employees to switch off, you know, through having just that clear and transparent culture that supports your employees to switch off during or outside um, of work hours. And as else we spoke about, we can rethink how and when the work is done, you know, reevaluate key processes in our organizations, redesign those processes to I suppose, optimize and achieve greater efficiencies and generally just change our work practices to help improve that overall employee experience. And finally, then, you know, we can react, protect the work. And going back to what Elizabeth was speaking earlier, where we just identify repetitive work, analyze the frequency of that work, the nature of those repetitive tasks, and identify how that work can be architected, how it can be improved. Can it be automated, consolidated, or can it indeed just be reduced in frequency? And by achieving that, then, we will free people up, I suppose, to conduct work or to create, you know, different types of work that align with the goals and values of our employees and individuals and bringing that purpose of fulfillment back into the work life. Thanks very much for that, John. Now, is there any advice that you could give to a leader when it comes to helping their team achieve work-life balance? You know, people can feel pressured to answer emails after work or to stay late because that's become expected. So what can a leader do to mitigate that from an individual perspective? Yeah, that's a great question, Farah. And um, I would say that's a challenge that a lot of people are struggling with, myself included. And I think remote and hybrid working has really uh, blurred the lines between home and work. And burnout, anxiety, stress is at an all-time high and um, really something that people are struggling with at the moment. Now, um, as John has mentioned, there's quite a few things that organizations can do to alleviate some of this pressure, but it all comes kind of down to the individual in terms of how they use these supports and how they also create boundaries for themselves and stick to that. Now, there's probably a few things that we've seen work quite well. And I think the one is to use your diary to create those boundaries and to integrate your home and work life. So, for instance, scheduling in your break, scheduling in key elements from your home life that you have to do during the day within your diary and blocking out that time makes a big impact in terms of preventing kind of meetings and other work related items to to filter into your diary and to take up some of those um, some of that time. So even uh, scheduling a 15 minute walk into your morning or uh, blocking out your lunch hour can make a massive difference. Uh, on the flip side as well is scheduling real time to do work. Uh, I think one of the the causes or one of the things that that really came out of COVID and the pandemic is that meetings are still on the app. You will find yourself for the entire day sitting in meetings, listening to people, going from call to call or room to room, and you you literally don't have time to do your actual work while you're supposed to be working. And what we've seen work really well, and some of our clients are doing it as well, is to um, create focus work time and block out two hours in the morning or in the afternoon, where really the only thing that you do is to work um, and focus on getting the things off your to-do list. 
Because if you don't do that, what you find yourself um, in a situation at the end of the day where you've been in meetings all day and now you have to do your, do your work after hours. So that's also um, kind of a clever trick that, that we've seen people use. I think the other element that we also um, find is you don't necessarily have that physical boundary um, that's created by commuting to and from work every day because you're in a hybrid situation or fully remote. So it's important to also create physical boundaries for yourself, uh, whether that is making sure your office is set up in a different room from where you relax, um, or if that's not possible, you can also uh, create habits in between kind of ending your work and starting your home life, such as um, exercising every every day after you have closed down for work, meditating, going for a walk, um, or doing something that you that you like to uh, do to unwind. And what this does really is it kind of tricks your brain into thinking that you, you've made a switch from one environment to the next and um, creates that physical boundary so that you can also completely switch off. Because I think that's one of the symptoms that we really struggling with is how do I switch off and how do I really not um, continue with work in the evenings if I don't have to, to leave the space that I work in. Uh, I think as a leader, then there's there's a couple of important things to note as well. And I think your behavior as a leader really filters down to your employees as well. So if you are setting the expectation in terms of sending emails late at night, um, scheduling meetings um, after hours, et cetera, you create an expectation that other people will need to follow the, the same behaviors. So something as simple as, uh, putting a delay on an email that is sent in the evening so that it only goes out in the morning uh, really works well uh, because people tend to follow what their leaders do and see that as an expectation. So as a leader, you really play an important part in setting the culture and the behaviors that are accepted uh, within the organization. And I think the last one that I want to mention is all of this is good and well. Um, you may have all these great intentions of setting the boundaries, but they they wouldn't become a reality if you don't communicate that to your manager or to, to the people that you work with so that they know about it and that they know kind of what the rules of engagement um, are for you. Uh, we see a lot of organizations setting up team charters of when, what is done, but we also see that on an individual levels. Specifically in Deloitte, we have an inclusion passport where you discuss kind of the things that you have that you need to work around, whether that's picking up kids, uh, standing commitment that you may have on a Friday during lunch, et cetera. And that creates uh, kind of the knowledge in the team that that's the times where you are not available and you can't be doing work. So it's really all about keeping that those lines of communication open. And I think for all of us, it's it's not an exact science. I think it's it's a bit of trial and error, but it's always kind of um, making sure that you communicate what works for you and that you work with your team so that, that you can all kind of create those habits together. Thanks very much, Elsabee. There's some great insights there, especially in terms of blocking out that focus time. And I really think that's something that everyone at all levels of an organization can benefit from. So I will definitely be doing that myself going forward. And now I want to bring things back into a very specific Irish context. According to the Deloitte report, 55% of Irish millennials cite the cost of living as their greatest concern when it comes to their jobs. 
That's in contrast to only 36% globally, so it's clearly a lot more top of mind here in Ireland. What can employers do to calm fears about cost of living? Yeah, I can take this one. And this is going to be a huge challenge going forward, Farah. You know, the cost of living concern, cost of living concern in Ireland is huge at the moment. And it really doesn't look like, you know, that's going away anytime soon. But in terms of what employers can do, I suppose the most obvious one that we've become familiar with in, in the last two years is to provide, you know, employees with flexible ways of working, whether that be hybrid or whether that be remote. And providing those flexible working options you know, it reduces or even removes the commute in some state cases, you know, allowing you to spend more time on that, you know, work that gives you purpose, work that gives you fulfillment, or, you know, spend time with your family, drop the kids to school, you know, make those stand-up appointments that Elizabeth spoke about. And we're all aware of just, I suppose, the cost savings that actually made in that regard from the flexible working options that also exist. And then in the context of, I suppose, the fully remote option, it just gives people greater freedom in their choice of where they live and have agency around, you know, where they rent or buy, um, which is obviously a huge challenge here in Ireland at the moment. And obviously that has a, a huge financial impact on individuals and our employees. So just providing that option to, to work, you know, completely remote will really allow people, I suppose, to just make that, you know, life decision, whether they, you know, need to commute or whether they can work that fully remote. Um, and then I suppose we still have our traditional factors that we're aware of. Um, we look at competitive benefits, healthcare, retirement savings, parental leave, and these will always be important. But one trend that we're actually seeing at the moment is the emphasis on the base pay increments as opposed to optional employee benefits. And I suppose, importantly, as that cost of living does continue to rise, our employers are going to start feeling that little bit of extra pressure. So well-being and assistance programs, they're definitely you know, they're crucial in this regard. Thanks very much, John. And something that might be a little bit trickier for organisations to address is mental health. Now, the Deloitte report shows that 41% of Gen Z and 49% of millennials in Ireland don't feel comfortable speaking openly with their direct manager if they feel anxious or if they're experiencing any other kind of mental health challenges. So what can organisations do to address that specific concern? I can take that one. Um, yeah, mental health, um, I think it still feel very stigmatized in many professional environments. Uh, employees can feel uncomfortable speaking up uh, when they really need, need help and support. Now, organizations have paid a lot of attention and put a lot of focus on putting systems in place like employee assistance programs where you can consult with a professional and um, kind of get the help you need for yourself individually. Um, and some have also included uh, mental health champions that you can reach out to in your team or programs where you can learn about how to manage burnout, um, work-life balance, etc. A lot kind of focus on the individual in terms of helping them get the support they need. But this doesn't really address the, the issue of that fear of speaking out and being able to kind of share how you're feeling and how it's impacting you. So you might be struggling in the background using all of these support systems, but your manager might not be aware or the, the team might not be aware that you are struggling. So um, more should really be done. Now, what we have seen make the biggest difference is storytelling. So if, for instance, leaders are openly sharing how they've struggled with uh, certain mental health issues or burnout or workload or anything that that kind of is um, seen as a key issue for, for employees in an organization. And then also how they've worked through it, what support they've received from the organization. 
employees will start to see that when they speak up about their struggles, it is accepted and that it is met with support as opposed to negative consequences or anything like that. So keeping that conversation alive and going and having people that people that employees look up to share their stories creates that sense of trust and safety that employees can um, really feel comfortable with so that they can go to their manager or relevant people in their team to say, listen, I'm struggling and I really need help. So the the support systems are really important so that they they know where to go to, but it's also important to have those conversations. On the flip side of that, um, it also puts some pressure on the managers to be able to manage these conversations and um, know where to go to for support as well. So it's really important to also make sure that you train your managers to, to know how to deal with mental health issues, to know what supports are available, what do you refer, what do you manage on your own, um, and really to to be that support system for, for the people and how to also create that environment of trust and psychological safety that people can come to you. So I'd, I'd say that's that's an important element that, that's sometimes missed as well is just to help your managers, help your team as well to, to help them see those situations and know how to deal with it. Um, so really there's, there's quite a lot of things that goes into it to enable that environment where people can feel safe. Thanks very much, Elsie. There's a lot there for organisations to consider in terms of mental health. So it's great to get some of your advice and your thoughts on that. And now climate change. So Gen Z and millennials both believe that the world has reached somewhat of a tipping point when it comes to climate change. And this is now playing a much more central role in choosing employers, even more than it did a few years ago. At the moment, only 18% of Gen Z and 16% of millennials believe that their employers are strongly committed to this cause. So what can employers really do to showcase their sustainability commitment to employees and indeed to potential employees? Yes, I can take this. And, and I think it's no secret that we all have huge expectations now of our employers when it actually does come to climate change and sustainability. And our report shows that over 90% of Gen Zs and millennials actually state that they're actively trying to impact the environment through making positive and better choices. So obviously, it's a huge concern when you cite that, you know, you've read the report that there's only 18% of Gen Zs and 16% of millennials actually believe that their employers are strongly committed to the cause. And as we're all aware, you know, a vital part of doing business in the modern world today is our social and moral obligations that we need to uphold as both citizens and indeed businesses and organizations. So organizations really need to look at how they organize themselves, how they operate, and indeed how they behave. And foreign organizations become truly sustainable all of these things have to be understood at all levels of that organization. So the business needs to take accountability for their actions and their actions really do need to be transparent, you know, across the board. And the quick wins then, I suppose the best place to start to show a commitment to employees is just to deliver on their expectations as, as anything. Um, and all expectations, they are outlined in the report. And you're looking at factors such as the ban on single-use plastics within the workplace or office locations, the commitment to net zero on greenhouse gas emissions, you know, within the next decade, 2030 and beyond, renovating office locations to be greener. And then we're looking at sustainability oriented employee benefits. But I think of, of real importance here and what I really need to take note is that we're all trying to do better, but I think we're all still learning to do better. 
So I really feel, you know, the onus is on organizations and employers to ensure that they provide adequate training opportunities for employees to help them understand how they can make a positive impact on their environment. And I suppose make small, subtle changes in their everyday lives that are going to have that impact as required. Thanks very much, John. So there are things that the organization can do. There are things that the individual can do. And it's great to hear about all of that. And now finally, to end off, what's next? We've had the great resignation. We're in the midst of the great reimagination. What, what's next for organizations and for individuals? That's a really good question. I suppose one that everyone is asking, but you know, if the last three years have taught us anything is that we just can't be certain of what's around the corner. You know, we're, we're consistently working in that uncertain environment and moving into the unknown. But when we do look at what's next, you know, we have to acknowledge that the future success of all organizations and businesses, it, it's simply going to be shaved heavily on how those organizations, I suppose, deliver on their employee needs, uh, desires and expectations. So those that embrace the great reimagination, those that re-architect, recharge, and reinvent how work is done, you know, this will significantly increase their likelihood of, of gaining and sustaining that competitive advantage in the market. Um, and I suppose ultimately becoming an employer of choice. And when we talk about, you know, becoming that employer of choice, what we're simply looking at is, you know, an employer that can just draw down on the top talent across the marketplace that they require. And indeed, you know, an employer who's versatile enough to be able to look beyond that traditional marketplace. Um, to acquire talent beyond. So in a world of uncertainty, I think there's only one certainty now, and that's, you know, our organizations and our employers really need to understand that their employees are consistently now going to reevaluate their own goals, their own lifestyles, their own purpose, and their own values. And I think as this reevaluation occurs, employers just need to be agile and adaptable and, you know, ensure that they stay abreast with the changing expectations and desires of the workforce. And a failure to do so will simply, you know, it will keep an organization in that state of the great resignation, never fully moving into that great state of, of reimagination that we aspire to. John, LCB, thank you so much for joining us on the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Some really great insights coming out of it today. And thank you again to everyone for listening. You can follow the IMI Podcast on SoundCloud or on your preferred, preferred podcast provider so that you don't miss any episodes. We're looking forward to bringing you another edition soon.